Isaiah chapter 42. There's a little bit of uh, a sense of, of, of kind of the turning of, of the book in Isaiah, this prophetic oracle, uh, 66 chapters of it. And, and kind of we've gone through the, the, the bits that kind of seem, ooh, uh, and they come to kind of a number of chapters which we kind of go, ee, uh, because uh, it's less of judgment. And not that, I mean, judgment is really important to hear, uh, but uh, when that judgment is an oracle to the nation and the nations um, approximately um, two and a half thousand years ago, uh, it's, it can seem a little bit challenging. But I hope that you've heard as we've preached why we still need to hear the oracles of Isaiah and uh, the heart of God contained in that prophetic word. So, chapter 42, verses uh, 1 to 9. Now, I made reference last week that because of the dim light in my aged, growing agedness, I have brought my glasses, but I, I can see quite clearly tonight, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> Being a, yeah, I have been a bit fickle with my eyesight. Anyway, uh, I know you'll be all seeing if I stumble. But anyway, thank you for that encouragement. So Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. The prophet speaks. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed... He will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And a reading from the New Testament from Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Uh, this month um, is the, the anniversary of me coming to faith uh, on the 10th of November, 1991, uh, which um, 
we've just passed, and I, I obviously, if you do your maths quickly, that makes me follow Jesus for 27 and a bit years. Hooray! Uh, I'm really delighted. And it was, I always kind of get to the beginning of November, and I, I just take a, some time to think back and remember and give thanks. I've, I've looked back over the, the, the year kind of gone since my last time that I kind of celebrated the anniversary of, of um, the Lord taking hold of my life. And uh, one of the things I remembered as, as I was preparing the sermon was, was how in, in this kind of run-up to that time when I turned to Jesus and, and kind of encountered the Lord, he encountered me. I, I remember really wrestling with Jesus. I moved, I'd moved a long way. I'd kind of gone from I hadn't even really thought about Jesus, didn't really care about Jesus. I was more uh, vexed by the awfulness of the church as I perceived it. But as my friends, followers of Jesus, began to talk about Jesus, uh, and one of the things that we try and do a lot is, is talk about Jesus, uh, not just about church and religion and, and all that, but, but Jesus. Uh, I began to, to, to kind of have to start to address not only the historical Jesus, but the reality of Jesus, of was he still present and alive? And I, I, I remember coming to the to that point where I knew that the, probably the tomb was empty and it was going to change and alter everything I knew to be true. It does that. Jesus rose from the grave and the tomb is empty. Everything is different for eternity. So on Sunday the 10th of November 1991, I found myself as a new Christian. And um, I was really kind of like... Okay, my, my friends have made some good points, but I'm not just going to take their word for it. I'm going to start to read the Bible, and I brought you last week the Bible that my friend gave me, and uh, still have it on that very first start of my journey. And, and I, I started, they said, where, I said, where should I start to read? They said, well, start in the New Testament, because if you start in the Old, you may get bogged down after a few pages. So I started at Matthew, and I remember reading through Matthew and being uh, so delighted and astonished and moved by Jesus. I remember coming to the stories of, uh, of Jesus at uh, the Last Supper and of his, of his death and his crucifixion. I remember actually just being moved to tears as I read that story with fresh eyes for the first time. And then obviously into Mark and uh, 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 Luke and John and, and onwards. And, and I think in about three weeks, I'd, I'd read the New Testament and my Christian friends were kind of like, Really? <laughs> We've not read the whole New Testament yet in our entire Christian life. And so I said, what next? Well, I thought, well, I'll go to the Old Testament and started to read. And it took me a little bit longer than three, three weeks. You'll be glad to know. Um, but I've read the Bible. Behind it was some pride, I have to say. I was like, well, if, I, if I'm going to follow this Jesus, I'm not going to trust what anyone else tells me. I'm going to go back to the source text. But actually, there was something in that that I've continued to learn throughout my Christian journey of following Jesus. I want to get to know him better. It's not that I don't know him. But I find the more that I get to know him, the more he keeps surprising me. The more I think I know him, the more he has to sort of draw me back to him and remind me that I may have started to believe a caricature what do I mean? Well, Isaiah the prophet, in these, what is the first of the servant songs, 
And there's four of them in these parts of, of, uh, of Isaiah, chapter 42, 49, 50. And the most famous of all of them is contained in chapter 53. I'm sure you know that. It's a very famous part. But it talks about these servant songs. And Isaiah has moved, and we've heard about kind of messianic kind of utterances and declarations and the promise of him doing a new thing and, uh, in chapter 9 and, and, and other readings that we'd have in, at Christmas of behold is the light to the world and, and all these kind of things. And the root of the stump of Jesse, you know, all that. But here we get a very different flavor of Messiah. So he's talked about, uh, in, in Isaiah, we've got all these themes coming together of, uh, of, of, um, of, of what God is promising, announcing that he's going to do. We've, we've, we've heard about of how he's going to send a new king. Uh, he won't be like the failing kings that the nations have known. David was okay. I mean, he, he stumbled and, and fell in his, you know, and, and compromised in his latter life. And Solomon started well and, and didn't do great. And then there was a cycle of kings as the, the nations split, the northern, the southern. We've looked at what happens and how the north got obliterated by the Assyrians and the south just recognized uh, rescued, uh, but they were kind of still trusting in themselves. And the kings were meant to be on the throne, ruling and reigning, representing God. And God begins to speak through Isaiah and others. I'll send another, another who will be called my true son of the Davidic line, yes, but, but a Messiah. This kind of gets straying into Christmas, which begins next week, or at least Advent. But also there's, a, there's an idea of, of this one who would restore and bring justice. There is one who will, uh, though your sins will be like scarlet, chapter 1, they, they should be washed as white as snow. He's starting to, to stray into the, the territory of the priestliness and, uh, and of the sacrificial system of how we're made right with God. But also the prophetic utterances of this one will establish the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, and to speak truth. The classic kind of motifs of the Messiah, the king, the prophet, the high priest. But Isaiah throws in a spanner into the wheel. And it upsets the apple calf because he starts to talk about the servant. Even in chapter 53, the suffering servant. Did you hear what he said? Here is my servant whom I will uphold. This is um, the Lord speaking, God Almighty, the Holy One. My chosen one, in other words, the one I will raise up, in whom I will delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the street to bruise reed. He will not break a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He won't falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And onwards, talks about, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the peoples and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. The question for God's people as Isaiah spoke this, is who is he referring to? 
Who is this servant? Who is this one? Now, now it may be that there's instances that, that and, and probably truths, it's a bit like, a, it's a, bit like a, a cake with layers that, that on the surface there you kind of think, okay, this is, this is possibly the people of God themselves, of, uh, of Judah, of, uh, of the people of God, those faithful remnant who uh, will kind of turn back to God and God will establish through them a people who will serve him faithfully. And to an extent, that is true. That there is a remnant that passes through the exile, that comes back of faithfulness, of enduring, who do reflect truly. And that, that motif gets picked up very much in the, in the times between the exile and the New Testament, where it all goes a little bit quiet, prophetically. And, and there's this kind of rising holiness move, movement in, in, as, as people start, you know, the Pharisaical belief that if they can believe, fulfill the law of God for one day, and the kingdom of God will come. And, and people would set themselves apart. You know, the Qumran community and the Essenes, though, it's like the holiness movement. Let's be holy to God and we will be, we'll fulfill everything he says and through us the kingdom will come. Yeah, it could be that. There's also a bit of a shock of who is the servant. It's slightly ambiguous. That it could be Cyrus. That again in Isaiah, there's this reminder that not only have they seen the, the approach and the violence and the tyranny of the Assyrians, and then they, that gives way to the, the reign and rule of, uh, of the, the Babylonians of Nebuchadnezzar. But Isaiah looks forward to say that even the nation of, of Babylon, the reign and the tyranny of that empire will fall at the hand of Shockingly, if we're told of the Lord's anointed Cyrus, we're told in Isaiah. You know what the word anointed means, don't you? Messiah. Christ in Greek. So God is at work. That's the second layer. But we're wonderful people and look back with the benefit of hindsight and go, yeah, it's Jesus, isn't it? We know the answer. We've looked at the, the last page. We've, we've snuck to the back and... and uh, and seen the solution to the puzzle. Yes, it is. But I wanted to draw in the, the reading from Matthew, reflected in the parallels in the gospel. Because I think there's still something for us to be moved about, and that's, do we really know who he is? I'm not wanting you to question your faith in Jesus. I'm not proclaiming to you another Jesus. But I am wanting to remind us as we read through Isaiah and we come again to the Christmas story to have our eyes wide. John's disciples, John was in prison, much probably as a shock to John and, and we know how it went for John of being beheaded. But for John, a cousin of Jesus who'd baptized Jesus, who had been the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, who had said, I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To being in prison saying, are you the one? Are you the one? I was struck when I was reading through the scriptures, still am. I hear it reflected in it with Phil often when we talk about the Alpha Course and, and Phil is speaking for eight weeks continuously about Jesus. And people go, mm, 
The people bumped up against Jesus. They talked with him. They ate with him. They laughed with him. They got scandalized by him. They, they thought, what you are saying is too harsh, Jesus. Let the dead bury their own dead. I've come to be like a stumbling block, to divide families. Two will be against three. Three will be against two. Woe to you, religious. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Can't serve. Uh, he can't love money and, and the kingdom of God. But Jesus amongst them always perplexed them. Even the disciples. We've left everything to follow you. Where I'm going, you can't come. Can't follow me that way. That it's right that as we keep reading the scriptures, we keep reading the scriptures and dwelling upon Jesus. Because it's easy to find and box him in. It's easy to, to have on the packaging, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I'm a Christian. But are we actually reflecting the likeness of Jesus Christ? Am I following him or a partial him? For us in the West, I hear in the, the, the song of Isaiah about he will establish justice on the earth. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He'll bring justice to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison. I mean, I always read that and, and think, well, yeah, if they're unjustly in there, they're innocent. But I don't really want all the bad people out of prison. And you're, you're right to say, well, maybe he's not talking about literal jails, but spiritual jails. To release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. The more I come to Jesus, the more and more radical I find him. You've probably heard of the movement in America. It's, it's not just an American thing, but they're called the Red Letter Christians. You heard of them? Uh, in some versions of the Bible, like mine, um, they, they print the Gospels. You probably can't see it, but the Red Letter Christians, the words of Jesus get printed in red. And um, it's sometimes interesting to see how they kind of work out which of the ones of Jesus are not. Uh, but the idea of the red-letter Christians is actually those bits that are things that Jesus actually said. Let's really take those to heart and live them as far as we can. And there's a great movement in America, Shane Claiborne and others, uh, Jim Wallace and, and others, who would, who would actually say, come on, Church of God, if we only would be serious about putting this into practice, it would reform us radically. But it's awkward. I know Christmas is upon us. So I want to show two videos to kind of to kind of make this point. I want, I want you to ask, and it's, the answer is pretty obvious, to be honest. Which of the two videos do you think most reflects Christmas? And 
Well, let's just show them. So, the first one, please. What makes Christmas Christmas? Must have lights. Must have music. Must have party. After party. After party. Oh, must have sleep. Must have in-laws to impress. Must have fancy little knickers and seriously comfy pants. Must have a bit of Bridget. Must have seething gift envy. But maybe all you really need is a little bit of magic. And a whole lot of sparkle. Love that code. Really? Just pause that there. Um, you know, I saw that. It was on Twitter a few weeks ago, and they released it. And I thought, you know, there was a, there was a joke that I always sort of cringed a bit about. A Christmas preacher said, if you, if you take Christ out of Christmas, what are you left with? M&S. Let's see the second one. Christmas puppet. Another year has passed. I wanted to start this one by saying something I haven't said yet, which is thank you. Thank you for taking the time to remember me. After all these years, I can't believe you're going to be 30 soon. I wish I could be there to see how you've grown, to see what kind of man you've become. I know I would be so proud of you. So this is it, my last tape. I wish I could keep talking to you every Christmas, but it's time to say goodbye. Just remember how much I love you. Never forget that, okay? I will always be your mum. Before I go, let me tell you a story about the happiest day of my life. The day you were born. Which is more about Christmas? 
this season as we as we uh, fall into advent shortly i've kind of been reflecting and thinking about my christmas and what's going to be key and uh, and what do i do with my money and and how do i use my time because actually that's as much about jesus as what we do tonight I guess that's where the rubber hits the road and it gets all a little bit edgy and political and moves our faith from being internal and just in the confines of a carol service or this season. Or actually, does Jesus burst out of the glittery box? Does he burst out of the expectation of the people of God? Does he shock and confound still and raise up? A people who transform the nations. Back in those first weeks of being a Christian, I loved to discover about Jesus. And I guess I was still quite perplexed of why the church didn't reflect him more. Now becoming a minister and leading a church for a number of years, I wonder, do I still have that radical edge? You see, as I read the New Testament and as as people encountered the one that Isaiah promised and said, this one will come, they didn't flock to him. They started to hate him, particularly those with power and most to lose. We kind of look back and say, oh, well, of course, why would they do that? The kingdom of God is amazing. It's about healing and release and forgiveness. Absolutely. But the radical and Jesus, the radical Jesus challenges to help the poor to reach out beyond our cultural barriers to the outsider and the marginalized. To have a big view, not an insular one. You see, Jesus fitted completely, worked out the jigsaw puzzle of the Old Testament of all those strands of how does the Messiah look? A servant, a suffering one, and a victorious king? seems like an inherent contradiction, polar opposites. People arrived around Jesus and, and centered around him when he was the Jesus they liked, the Jesus they wanted, the Jesus that was within their framework of thought. But the more they got to know him, the more they found he was bigger than that. We heard just last week in those Wonderful phrases. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Again and again, we've painted a picture and we see, as Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. He's the firstborn from among them, the visible representation of the invisible God. If our Jesus has become too comfortable Come back to the Gospels. Not to saying to you he's a different Jesus, but he's a bigger 
and less sanitized and more vibrant and less tedious a more wonderful, amazing one. He likes to surprise and he likes to break us out where we've become a bit short-sighted. In this meal of remembrance, we see the servant song enacted out, particularly the suffering servant. I was reminded as I was just kind of worshipping of of that time post-resurrection and there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they, Jesus was walking with them and they were saying, do you not know what happened in Jerusalem? What happened, says Jesus? Well, let us tell you, it was awful. This Jesus that we followed was killed, crucified. And, and some people are saying he's risen again. Really? And they walked and talked and they got to the end of the day and Jesus said, well, I, I must be carrying on. No, no, stop, have a meal with us. Okay. And they sit down in the tavern, the pub, wherever it is, and Jesus breaks bread. Their eyes are open. There's something really profound as we come back to this meal, a simple yet deeply profound. This is my body broken for you. The King of Kings, the Majestic One, the Holy One, the All Powerful One. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness and this is my very life drop by drop by drop for the sins of the world. No quick fix. No simple solution. Entirely costly. You see, it's in that meeting in that orientating ourselves, but we are his guest. We are the ones who come to him, saying, we haven't got all the answers. We come to you, Jesus. Meet with us afresh. Fill us. Reassure us. Meet with us. But don't let us be unchanged. Feed us in order for us to be strengthened. Meet with us in order for us to know you better. And let us know what it means to follow you. I'm going to ask the band to to come back. And we'll sing the wonder of the cross, please.